All right, wrestling fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton standing here in the confessional corner with you as we begin a look at Article 7 in the Formula of Concord, the Holy Supper of Christ, this week looking at the epitome, beginning on page 487 in Concordia, the Reader's Edition. This article from the epitome is what I use to, as a basis for the kids to understand in confirmation class the doctrine of closed communion. Because here we have in bullet point format those things that are acceptable and affirmed by the confessions and then the things that are not accepted and rejected by the confessions. So this gives us that moment to look and to see what the importance of this most holy sacrament is. As I said, this is the most holy sacrament, but it is also the most controversial one, as we will see even this week, just going through the bullet points and over the course of about the next month, going through the solid declaration, breaking some of these down even further. This week we began on page 487 of Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, the reader's edition of the Book of Concord. The Zwinglian teachers are not to be counted among the theologians who receive, accept, and profess the Augsburg Confession. They separated from our theologians at the very time when this confession was presented. Yet they are advancing themselves and are attempting, under the name of this Christian confession, to spread their error. Therefore, we also intend to make a necessary statement about this controversy in which we have judged that the Church of Christ should be instructed. So again, this is a question as to it was not something that is an internal Lutheran question initially. It is a question that has gone on since the beginning of the Reformation, since Zwingli brought forward, and especially in the Marburg Colloquy, the one thing that Luther and Zwingli could not agree upon was the Lord's Supper. Is Jesus truly present in that meal. And so this leads us into the question that this article asks. In the Holy Supper, are the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ A, truly and essentially present, B, distributed with the bread and wine, and C, received with the mouth by all those who use the sacrament, whether they are worthy or unworthy, godly or ungodly, believing or unbelieving? Are they received by the believing for consolation in life, but by the unbelieving for judgment? The sacramentarians say no, we say yes. So here is the question, is Jesus truly present with his body and blood in, with, and under the bread and wine? The sacramentarians, Zwingli, Calvin, all those who believe that there is nothing here but bread and wine in the Lord's Supper that no, of course, Jesus is not truly present. And then if he is not truly present, then those who take it unworthily have no issues because there is nothing there to sin against. Right, moving on into paragraph three, explaining this idea of the sacramentarians a little bit more. To explain this controversy, it must be noted in the beginning that there are two kinds of sacramentarians. Some are openly crass sacramentarians. They declare in plain, clear words that they believe in their hearts and that in the Holy Supper, nothing bread and wine is present, distributed, and received with mouth. 
Others, however, are crafty sacramentarians. They are the most harmful of all. In part, they talk very fancy, using our own words. They pretend that they also believe a true presence of the true essential living body and blood of Christ in the Holy Supper. However, they say this happens spiritually through faith. Nevertheless, under these fancy words, they hold precisely the former crass opinion, namely that in the Holy Supper nothing is present and received with the mouth except bread and wine. For with them the word spiritually means nothing other than the Spirit of Christ or the power of Christ's absent body and his merit that is present. But for them Christ's body is in no mode or way present, except above in the highest heaven. They say we should elevate ourselves into heaven by the thoughts of our faith. And there, not at all in the bread and wine of the Holy Supper, we should seek Christ's body and blood. So here we have the two different types of sacramentarians. First, the crass ones that absolutely objected, no, there is nothing here but bread and wine. Nothing absolutely. And we only do it because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. On the other hand, you have the crafty sacramentarians that will use Lutheran-type language sacramental language to talk about the Lord's Supper, but it causes you to try to do something that they say Jesus cannot do, and that is bridge the gap between earth and heaven. They will say that Jesus cannot be truly bodily, physically present in the bread and wine because he is in heaven, and he cannot be in two places at once if he has a physical body, since we cannot be in more than one place with our physical bodies. But they say we must elevate ourselves. We must bring ourselves up into heaven through our faith. Now, this brings about a whole lot of problems because if we could elevate ourselves into heaven simply by our faith, yet we don't need the bread and wine. We don't even need church. All we need is our faith, which, of course, these sacramentarians, both crass and crafty, will say is something that you come up with yourself, that you bring about within yourself. So, of course, these great Christian people who say that Jesus is basically stuck in heaven because of his physical resurrection and ascension, say that you and I are able to bring ourselves spiritually up into heaven, which, again, begs the question, why do we need Jesus? Why do we need any of the rest of this stuff? Why does any of this that we have talked about matter? Uh, they can't answer except for, well, Jesus said to do this. So we do it because Jesus gave us this rule. All right, so to keep from going off on a diatribe right now and maybe being able to break it up over the course of a few bullet points, Let's get into the affirmative statements beginning in paragraph six. Number one, we believe, teach, and confess that in the Holy Supper, Christ's body and blood are truly and essentially present and that they are truly distributed and received with the bread and wine. Number two, we believe, teach, and confess that the words of Christ's testament are not to be understood in any other way than the way they read according to the letter. So the bread does not signify Christ's absent body and the wine his absent blood. But because of the sacramental union, the bread and wine are truly Christ's body and blood. Number three, now about the consecration, we believe, teach, confess that no work of man or recitation of the minister produces this presence of Christ's body and blood in the Holy Supper. 
Instead, this presence is to be credited only and alone to the almighty power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is one of our first jumping off points in this discussion of what the Lord's Supper is. And this has been a situation that has needed to be addressed for roughly three years now with the COVID pandemic and this idea of online or virtual communion. The Missouri Senate in their synodical convention this past summer passed a resolution banning the idea of online or virtual communion, affirming the necessity of in-person communion as well as the proper usage of the elements, uh, both during the distribution as well as afterwards. This is where that starts to jump off, is that we can't talk about this being something that, oh, just because I hear the words of institution, this is one of the ideas behind the abuses that could happen with online communion, is that you could just go find a church online, Facebook, or Our Savior's audio feed on our website, or some other place, and then, well, as long as you have bread and wine there, you can take communion. And you don't actually need a church. That is not what Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper for. He instituted it for us to be together, to be receiving it at the same rail. It also reminds us that there is nothing about the pastor reciting the words that makes it work. All of this is done truly and solely by the power of Christ. All right, move on into paragraph 9, bullet point 4. At the same time, we also believe, teach, and confess unanimously that in the use of the Holy Supper, the words of institution should in no way be left out. Instead, they should be publicly recited as it is written in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, and so forth. This blessing occurs through the reciting of Christ's words. Number 5. In this matter, the ground on which we stand against the sacramentarians is what Dr. Luther has laid down in his confession concerning Christ's Supper. The first point is this article of our Christian faith. Jesus Christ is true, essential, natural, perfect God and man in one person, undivided and inseparable. The second, God's right hand is everywhere. Christ is placed there in deed and in truth according to his human nature. He is present, rules, and has in his hands and beneath his feet everything that is in heaven and on earth, as Scripture says in Ephesians 1.22, where no other man or angel, but only Mary's son is placed. Therefore, he can do this. Third, God's word is not false or deceitful, Titus 1.1-3. The fourth, God has and knows various ways to be in any place, and not only one way, which philosophers call local. So coming from... Luther's work on the confession concerning Christ's Supper, the main point he wants to bring out is that God's right hand is everywhere. There is no place where God's right hand is not. So therefore, Christ can be in every place at once, just like God is everywhere at once. The sacramentarians want to take this idea about Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father and saying, well, no, there is a specific geographical point in heaven that now Jesus is there, and he can't be here as well, and he can't be in Milford and in 
St. Louis and in Chicago and in Buffalo and in Sacramento and in Paris and in Beijing and, you know, dozens of other places all around the world all at the same time, because that's just not the way the human nature works. But my general response to this is they forget the whole Jesus saying, I am God. God can do this. And if God can do this with himself, he can do this with any of his creations. All right, moving on. Number six, we believe, teach, and confess that Christ's body and blood are received with the bread and wine, not only spiritually through faith, but also orally, yet not in a Capernetic way, but in a supernatural heavenly way because of the sacramental union. Christ's words clearly show this when Christ gives direction to take, eat, and drink as was done by the apostles. For it is written in Mark 14, 23, and they all drank of it. St. Paul likewise says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? That is to say, he who eats this bread eats Christ's body, which also the chief ancient teachers of the church, Chrysostom, Cyprian, Leo I, Gregory, Ambrose, Augustine, unanimously testify. So Jesus' body and blood are received orally with the bread and wine, yet not in a Capernetic way, not in this way of gnashing it with your teeth and that whole process of chewing and digesting. This is in a truly supernatural, heavenly way. And we can't also think of it as, well, which part of Christ's body do I have? Because Jesus doesn't promise to give us a part of his body. He promises to give us his entire body. So it is not just, okay, do I have his left thing, left index finger or his right ring finger or his pinky toe on his left foot? You know, which part do I have? That's not the point. The point is that you receive all of Jesus in the Lord's Supper. Number seven. We believe, teach, and confess that not only the true believers in Christ and the worthy, but also the unworthy and unbelievers receive Christ's true body and blood. However, they do not receive them for life and consolation, but for judgment and condemnation, if they are not converted and do not repent. 1 Corinthians 11, 27-29 Although they thrust Christ as a Savior away from themselves, yet they must receive him, even against their will, as a strict judge. They must admit that he is just as present to exercise and render judgment on unrepentant guests as he is present to work life and consolation in the hearts of the true believers and worthy guests. For this, we go back to the small catechism, the fourth part of the sacrament of the altar. Who receives this sacrament worthily? Fasting and bodily preparation are truly fine outward training, but that person is truly worthy and well prepared who has faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But anyone who does not believe these words or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared, for the words for you require all hearts to believe. And we go on into the passage that they talked about from 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 and 28. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And he goes on to talk about, this is why some of you are sick. This is why some of you have died, because the judgment of God has come upon the unbelieving. This is why we practice closed communion, is because we don't want 
to give somebody what we are hoping will be a blessing and life and consolation to them, but end up truly being judgment and condemnation because they don't truly believe. This is also why we don't give infants communion right after baptism as some of the Eastern Orthodox churches do. We want people to understand exactly the gift that they are receiving in the Holy Supper of our Lord. We do not want to be the agents by which they receive the judgment. Moving on in number eight, we believe, teach, and confess also that there is only one kind of unworthy guest, those who do not believe. About these guests it is written in John 3, 18, whoever does not believe is condemned already. And this judgment becomes greater and more grievous, being aggravated by the unworthy use of the Holy Supper, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. Again, the only type of unbelieving guest is one who does not believe the words of Jesus in the words of institution. Number nine, we believe, teach, and confess that no true believer, as long as he has living faith, however weak it may be, receives the Lord's Supper to his judgment. For the supper was instituted especially for Christians weak in faith, yet repentant. It was instituted for their consolation and to strengthen their weak faith. Matthew 9, 12, 11, 5, and eleven twenty eight. So this comes to the question of, well, I don't feel worthy. Well, do you believe that Jesus' body and blood are there for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you believe that he has come to bring you life and salvation and to strengthen your faith? Well, yes, then come, take the Lord's Supper. Come and receive that strengthening, because this is exactly why he gave it to us. I mean, look at the people who received it for the first time. You have Peter, the denier. You have Judas, the betrayer. You have the rest of the apostles who fled when the guards came in and took hold of Jesus. All of them needed strengthening in their faith. None of them were superheroes on that Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday. All of them need strengthening of their faith. Just like all of us need to have our strength, our faith strengthened. Because none of us have a strong enough faith. Because a strong enough faith would be a perfect faith. And we don't have that. And if you don't believe that, Think back on the rest of today so far, and how many times have you doubted that something good was going to happen, or doubted how things were going to turn out, or how God could make something work for the good of those who love him? Yeah, if you had any of those, yeah, your faith is not perfect. Your faith still can be strengthened. All right, final one for the affirmative statements, number 10. We believe, teach, and confess that all the worthiness of guests of this heavenly feast is and is founded on Christ's most holy obedience and perfect merit alone. We receive these for ourselves by true faith and by the sacraments we are assured of them. Our worthiness is not at all in our virtues or inward and outward preparations. So all of your worthiness for receiving the Lord's Supper is all about Jesus and Jesus giving this supper to you. Okay, we move on in paragraph 21 to the negative statements, the contrary and condemned teachings of the sacramentarians. And while we had a long list of 10 affirmative statements, we have an even longer list of 21 negative statements on this. 21 
rejected teachings about the Lord's Supper. So here we go. On the other hand, we unanimously reject and condemn all the following erroneous articles. They are all opposed and contrary to the teaching presented above, the simple faith, and the pure confession about the Lord's Supper. Number one, the papistic transubstantiation. It is taught in the papacy that during the Holy Supper, the bread and wine lose their substance and natural essence, and that they are annihilated. They say they are changed into Christ's body, and only the outward form remains. And number two, the papistic sacrifice of the Mass for the sins of the living and the dead. So we have here transubstantiation, first of all, that it is just Christ's body and blood. There is no bread and wine anymore. It just looks like it. And then the whole sacrifice of the Mass, which we have gone through in Apology 24, as well as in the Small Cold Articles. I encourage you to go back to those to hear those again. Otherwise, I could go on for another 20, 30 minutes on this. But I just want to point out the sacrifice of the Mass for the sins of the living and the dead, that you can still have Mass said for you after you're dead to, of course, take away time in purgatory. All right, moving on. Erroneous doctrine number three, that the sacrilege to lay people only one form of the sacrament is given. Contrary to the plain words of Christ's testament, the cup is withheld from them. They are robbed of his blood. Simply put, in the Roman Catholic Church, up until relatively recent times, only the bread was given to the lay people. Only the priests were allowed to drink the cup. And now there are many places that do allow the laity to drink from the cup, but it is still a small percentage because there are still many people who are very ingrained that, no, we can only have one. Jesus gave us both. All right, number four, uh, the teaching that the words of Christ's testament must not be understood or believed simply as they read, but that his words are difficult expressions whose meaning must be sought in other passages of scripture. That is, anytime we want to take, this is my body, and say, this represents my body. This signifies my body. This is a sign, a substitute for my body. No, no, no. That is not the way it works. That is not the way language works. And I have talked about that in previous discussions on the Lord's Supper. All right, number five. In the Holy Supper, Christ's body is not received orally with the bread, but with the mouth only bread and wine are received. Christ's body, however, is only received spiritually through faith. Again, this idea that we eat and drink the bread and wine, but our spirits, our souls have to go up into heaven to have communion with Christ's body and blood. All right, number six, and on, continuing this idea. The bread and wine in the Holy Supper are nothing more than symbols or tokens by which Christians recognize one another. Number seven, the bread and wine are only figures, points of comparison, and representations of Christ's far absent body and blood. Number eight, the bread and wine are no more than a memorial, seal, and pledge. We are assured through them that when faith elevates itself to heaven, it becomes a partaker of Christ's body and blood there. This happens as surely as we eat bread and drink wine in the Lord's Supper. So here, all those are all related to each other. Number nine, in the Holy Supper, the assurance and confirmation of our faith concerning salvation happen through the external signs of bread and wine alone. They do not happen through Christ's actually, truly present body and blood. 
Number 10, in the Holy Supper, only the power, effect, and merit of Christ, absent body and blood, are distributed. So here we have two sides of the same coin. That on one hand, there are people who say, no, it is only in the fact that you ate the bread and you drank the wine that you have the assurance of your salvation. On the other hand, it is not the bread and wine at all, but it is your communion spiritually by faith in heaven that is your assurance. Again, neither one being able to actually do it. Number 11, I've said this numerous times already. Christ's body is so enclosed in heaven that there is no way it can be at one and at one time in many or all places on earth where his holy supper is celebrated. Number 12, Christ has not promised and could not have caused the essential presence of his body and his blood in the Holy Supper. For the nature and the property of the human nature he received cannot allow this presence or permit it. Number 13, God by all his power is not able, which is dreadful to hear, to cause his body to be essentially present in more than one place at one time. Again, this idea that because Jesus has a physical body like you and I, and we can't be in more than one place at one time, then obviously Jesus cannot be in more than one place at one time. All right, number 14. Not the all-powerful words of Christ's testament, but faith produces and makes Christ's body and blood present in the Holy Supper. Here we have again the idea that this is all about me. This is the receptionist uh, heresy in the Lord's Supper is that if I believe that it is Jesus' body and blood, then it is for me, but it is not for everybody, that I make the Lord's Supper Christ's body and blood, not that Christ has done it. Again, putting everything on us in our faith. All right, number 15. Believers must not seek Christ's body and blood in the bread and wine of the Holy Supper. They must raise their eyes from the bread to heaven and there seek Christ's body. Again, the idea that we have to try to bring ourselves up to heaven. Number 16, unbelieving, unrepentant Christians do not receive Christ's true body and blood in the Holy Supper, but only bread and wine. Number 17, at this holy, at this heavenly meal, the worthiness of the guest comes not only from true faith in Christ, but also from people's outward preparations. Here's the idea that, no, if you don't believe that it's Jesus' body and blood, you're not going to receive any dire consequences from it. It all is receptive of your faith and how you believe it to be. Whether the person next to you believes it differently or not is a completely other matter. And then, of course, as we read from the small catechism, this idea that you have to do some sort of outward preparation, uh, very much like in the Roman church, where you still have the teaching that you must fast before you receive Mass, so that the body of Christ is the first thing that touches your tongue in the morning. And there are many priests that have said, you just can't do that anymore, or people just don't really care anymore. So they're not really receiving all the benefits because they didn't do this right. And again, it is not outward training and preparation that makes you worthy. It's Jesus that makes you worthy. Okay, number 18. Even the true believers who hold, have and hold a true, living, pure faith in Christ can receive this sacrament to their judgment, for they are still imperfect in their outward life. Again, this idea that what you do 
makes you worthy or unworthy is all about faith. Even the weakest Christian who has doubts about so many things, even maybe including that there is Christ's body and blood here, but they believe everything else. It's not, that does not disqualify them. That alone. Now, if they truly and firmly reject the presence of Christ's essentially present body, now we have issues. All right, number 19. The external visible elements of the bread and wine should be adored in the Holy Sacrament. This is the idea of the Eucharistic adoration, where the host that is blessed is put in the monstrance, which is placed on the altar, and then the rest of the service is simply prayers prayed to the host that is elevated on the altar. Or you have the Feast of the Corpus Christi Festival, where you have the sanctified, blessed, consecrated, whatever word you want to use for the elements paraded around through town on specific days to be worshipped and adored, much like you had the Ark of the Covenant or the Bronze Serpent of Numbers 21. Things that were good, but would often be used as good luck charms and became idols in themselves. This is not what the Lord's Supper was given to us for. This is not why Jesus broke his body on the cross and shed his blood on the cross so that we can then pray to and worship the body, but to worship him. Number 20. Likewise, we also hand over all proud, frivolous, blasphemous questions, which decency forbids us to mention, and other expressions to God's just judgment. Most blasphemously and with great offense to the church, such things are proposed by the sacramentarians in a crass, carnal, capernetic way about the supernatural, heavenly mysteries of the sacrament. So there are many other things that we could talk about that are just not right for polite company. That you know, we're not even, those are bad too and blasphemous, but we're not even going to go into any more detail on those. And then finally, number 21. We utterly reject and condemn the Capernetic eating of Christ's body, as though we taught that his flesh was torn with the teeth and digested like other food. The sacramentarians, against the testimony of their conscience, after our frequent protest, willfully label us with this view. In this way, they make our teaching hateful to their hearers. On the other hand, we hold and believe according to the simple words of Christ's testament, the true yet supernatural eating of Christ's body and also the drinking of his blood. Human senses and reason do not comprehend but as in all other articles of faith, our reason is brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5. This mystery is not grasped in any other way than through faith alone, and it is revealed in the word alone. All right, that is the article on the Holy Supper of Christ in the epitome of the formula of the Concord. And again, this Capernetic way of that it is torn up and digested like other food. And this is not what Scripture teaches. It is not what we teach. We don't understand how exactly to explain it. This is why we use such ways of saying as supernatural and heavenly way of eating, because it's beyond our mind to understand, which like many, many other things in the faith, we can't understand. We can spend our lifetime studying them and still not quite come to a point where we can say, yes, I understand this, because 
it just keeps the further down we go the more and more we see that there is to dig and that is what luther says throughout his large catechism in just about every single thing it's like and we could talk about this for a lot longer because there's a lot more to study and to delve into on this but this is what is necessary for the moment and that is where i'm going to leave us today is that this is what is necessary for us at this moment again we are going through the solid declaration for the next four weeks to break this down a little further to dig a little deeper into the confessions here so i encourage you to be back for that i encourage you also to listen to digging deeper since i made a sideways plug for that as we continue going through the book of revelation but also on whatever podcast platform you listen to go in and leave a review especially if you've got a five-star review that you want to leave but you know i am willing to accept even the one-star reviews that have good things to say about what i can do to make this podcast better because truly this is partially for me in this podcast but it is primarily for you the listeners and for anybody else who might stumble upon this podcast and those reviews will help more people to stumble upon the podcast and to be strengthened in their faith so that they may be more equipped to wrestle with the theologies around them just as you are equipped to wrestle with the theologies around you amen <laughs>